anti-intellectualism, um, anti-rationalism, uh, because they blame the, that sort of imperial male ego self for all the ills in the world, like the Vietnam War and racism and sexism and all that. Um, so Zen, the way Zen was presented by Suzuki and Watts was fit right in with that, and it's interesting to go back and read them. I still think they're among the best writers about Zen. When I was reading books for, doing all the reading for this book and for the uh, China Root, the book before this, it kind of lays out the conceptual framework. Um, I thought those uh, Suzuki and Watts, even though it's they're long in the past now, were maybe the best that there that there that there were. Um, but you you read them, and it really is a um, a cultural moment because over and over and over and over and over again, they will end arguments or settle discussions simply by saying something that makes no sense, <laughs> quoting a koan, and that's enough. That was enough. For, for for that cultural moment, and that kind of stuck, and I, and I just think that's not really what Chinese Chan was about. There is, um, uh, it's about, you know, it, it it really grows out of Taoism, and Taoism is is about Tao is essentially in um, the cosmos or the earth seen as a um, as a generative tissue. That's 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 constantly changing. That's you know, Taoism is about change. Yijing is the classic of change. And what spiritual practice was about for the Taoist, and, and it's no different for Chan. It's just um, refined and um, expanded. Is about integrating consciousness with that um, that essentially that female. Um, tissue of reality. So that's that's kind of challenging. That involves essentially getting past this self that we all have that feels radically separate from everything around us. So that's and it, and it's and part of that self is language and and language is um, uh, is meaning is uh, sense um, meaning making is um, sort of rationality. Um, that's all part of the separation. So that's where the mystery happens, is, is when you're trying to dissolve, um, trying to dissolve that, um, it, that, uh, what's the word, that sort of conceptual scaffolding of the self. Once you, once you dissolve it, yeah, you're into something, I'll call it mystery or perplexity or something. But in Chinese texts, or, so that's true. That's that's what practice is about. It involves mystery. It's earthy. But Chinese texts, although they're about that, they are sentence by sentence. They make clear sense. They they and tr and translators haven't insisted on that in the past. They've thought, mm -hmm. well, if I can't make and but Chinese is extremely difficult. Has lots of ambiguity. So. Um, translators of like encounter, encounter a sentence if it doesn't make immediate sense they've been very willing to say well that's because it's Zen that's because mm -hmm. it's Chan and Chan mm -hmm. doesn't make mm -hmm. sense and then you get a bad translation mm -hmm. translation mm -hmm. but you need to keep put, you need to like any translation you need to 
keep pushing the grammar and the mm-hmm. pushing the sentence until you make sense out of it. It isn't that it isn't that Chinese doesn't make sense or that a Chan text doesn't make sense sentence by sentence, paragraph by paragraph. It's that they're talking about that earthy mystery and the idea of dismantling um, dismantling the ego, the self, the, um, our, all of our conceptual frameworks, including Buddhism and including Chan. Mm-hmm. So, so, yeah. So anyway. Yeah, if I could, if I could, uh, yeah, yeah, it makes sense. If I could see if I, let me see if I got that, because I think this is really important. And I, and I completely agree that we can study Chan texts, we can read them, we can understand them, we can discuss them, and we don't have to fall back on ineffability. So conceptually, it can be fairly clear, but where the practice comes in is to make those concepts uh, physical and embedded in our lives and in our practice so they're not just in our head. They can become realized within our body and mind through the practice. So it's not as if, ah, we read the Chan text, we understand them, end of story. No, that's not the end of the story. And yet we can read and understand the Chan text, but practice is required. And, and, but when you say empirically based depths, what do you mean when you use the word empirical there? Well, okay, so uh, let's imagine you walk out into a field and you... You want to know what's empirically true, and you. A way to do that is to start forgetting, and yeah, you know, like old Taoists and Chan people, forgetting is part of is one way of talking about meditation. So to start forgetting, forget everything you know, all of your certainties, all of our culture's certainties, dismantle it all, and that's essentially what the Chan project it was. Close your eyes. Do all of that dismantling so you've forgotten everything you think you know about the world and you want to know, okay, what's empirically, immediately true? Open your eyes and what do you see? Mm. First, you see wonder of wonders, there's stuff here. When there, why, why would I expect stuff to be here if I've dismantled everything? Okay, there's all this stuff here. That's presence. Um, but the next thing that you see, you notice, if you sit there for five seconds or five minutes or five million years, is that that stuff doesn't hold still, that it moves, it's generative, it's always changing, always bringing new things. That's the, that's the Tao, that's the perpetually, the, the female perpetually generative nature of things. It's just in the nature of things, like gravity is in the nature of things. There's, a, there's no, there can't be an explanation for it. You can't ask the why question any further than that. Mm. It's like gravity. That's what I mean by empirically based. And then, then, the, next, then the next step is meditation is empirically based. You can sit and watch what's going on in the mind, and you can watch that one, oh, I can watch my thoughts going, this is pure empiricism or phenomenology, so I'm not my thought, I'm set something separate from my thoughts. That's, and, and your thoughts and your memories, that's the ego center, that's mm. the self that separates you from everything else. So this is all, it's almost scientific observation, this whole thing. Mm-hmm. And if you sit there for a little longer, you realize, oh, 
my, my mind is working just like that world I saw in the field. That is, uh-huh. it's always changing. There right. are, thoughts keep coming out of nothing, going through their evolution, vanishing into nothing, new thoughts, just going and going, just like the cosmos, just like um, this world, this field, where clouds, are, clouds come and go, and wind comes and goes, and flowers come and go. Um, so that's what I mean by empirical. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's all direct yeah. observation. And, you know, the, <clears throat> the word that everyone knows as kensho, that's the Japanese word for, for one of the two words for enlightenment. That word in Chinese, it simply means seeing your nature, seeing original nature. That is what I just described, empirically seeing that you are essentially empty, that you are part of this um, ongoing generative nature of things. Yeah, isn't, isn't that character, uh, I think you, you show this in the book, isn't that character for nature uh, have uh, the element of mind, and then birth, like the arising, the arising of mind. Isn't that, isn't that what that character uh, implies? In other words, seeing how the mind arises and passes away, like everything. That's the nature of yeah. mind. Yeah. Well, that's, that's the other word for enlightenment, ooh, which is the, is the word you, that literally means awakening. Yeah. 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 So like, but then the, the, the Kensho word um, is actually two words, and it's just literally see seeing yeah. nature. Yeah, and you know, uh, the, the, when I asked you about the word empirical, because uh, the, the word I usually use, which sounds like you're using the word empirical, and would you, uh, I don't see what you think of this, the word that I am more used to using and seems closer to my uh, way of feeling the practice is uh, immediate, in the yeah. sense of exactly without, any, without any mediation, no mediation by thinking or understanding, but... Um, Immediate. So empirical and immediate would be equivalents here, more or less, in terms of what we're talking I think about. So, yeah. 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 So that's that's very beautiful. Also, also, it's very encouraging for older people who are forgetting anyway. You know, the more we forget, the closer we are to the truth. Excellent. I like that idea. It's very good. Forgetfulness is such a blessing because the more you forget, the less there is to like. Yeah, to worry about. Yeah, right, right, right. Well, you know, uh, it's wonderful that uh, this event, I was invited to participate with you in this event because just this month in our Dharma seminar, we've been, we've been actually, uh, in a way, studying ex- exactly what you've been studying all this time. We've been studying uh, environmentalism, uh, connection to the earth, through reading a fascicle of Dogen called uh, Valley Sounds, Mountain Colors. And we've been getting into how, like just like what you just said, how mind and world are the same phenomenon and they're not different. So there's no environment in which we are living in the foreground and the environment is the space in which it's taking place. No, we are the environment. The environment is us. There's just one seamless whole. And that's been, uh, I mean, I think that's behind that, that idea is embedded in Taoism slash Chan as you see it and in all in all your work so I'm going to read another very short passage this time and, and ask you another question about that and this one appears on page before you, yeah before you do that I'd be yeah. interested to hear how you how you all were talking about that well we're reading along in in uh, Dogen's uh, fascicle uh, the one I've just mentioned valley valley uh, valley uh, sounds mountain streams in, in which he basically says, um, 
you know, the whole earth and the whole mind is one seamless reality in every moment. So there's no, there's no separation. Uh, and, and, it's, and it's, you know, you could say that our long ago as Western culture, separating ourselves from the environment and seeing the environment as something for our use, something that we can make use of to improve our lives, that very philosophical, sort of emotional, psychological distancing from the environment is what led us down this path of not seeing what we were doing until now when it's practically too late. So, yeah, so that's the way Wild Mind book is about Wild Mind. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. In fact, we're reading Wild Mind in our uh, seminar. That's one. Of, that's on our reading list. Exactly. So, so, what do you do for like practice? So you 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 get that idea, and what do you do with it in your center? Well, I mean, I, it's not that we do anything different with it. I mean, basically, we we understand that that idea is embedded in what zazen is. So when we're sitting yeah. in zazen, we understand that's what we're doing. We're not doing meditation. We're not observing our minds. We're not mm -hmm. sitting there to improve ourselves or understand ourselves better. Uh, we're sitting there to uh, shed our separation from one another because it's also, that's why social justice and environment, environment are not two separate issues. Um, mm -hmm. They're the same issue when we realize that we ourselves and everything and everyone are, are one phenomenon then naturally we're aware and we're kind to one another and to, and to the earth that, that is our lives. Mm -hmm. So for example, um, you know, I was saying in one of my Dharma talks that when Buddha touches the earth, you know, that's the moment when the Buddha's awakening uh, opens up because Mara says, here's all these things, you know, greed and desire and, and guilt and all these things. This is, these are my minions to prevent you from awakening. What, what are your minions? And the Buddha touches the earth and says, I am the earth. The earth is me. And that is why you, Mara, will never be able to defeat me because uh, we are this. And so we sit in zazen, you know, with that spirit and that understanding, and that uh, it's a very, very, like you say, uh, the fact that it's feminine is so very beautiful because it means it's fully accepting, it's forgiving, uh, it's gentle, it's always kind. So, so we're sitting in zazen with that spirit and trying to cultivate that spirit in our living, you know, in, in our way of uh, living on the planet and living with one another. So yeah. it's, you know, because, you know, we were looking for a way to um, examine and feel our way into uh, environmentalism and working with climate change that wasn't just the usual tech fixes and political right. hand-wringing. You know, those things are, of course, necessary, but we wanted to find a religious and spiritual more authentic human way of entering this conversation and so that's what we've been doing and finding yeah. that zazen is that to so sit in meditation is that right yeah I think, and i think that's what i i do in wild mind wild earth is that i think you're right in that you can have all the technological fixes but you have to have the the right approach the right framework yeah to to, to use them otherwise if you don't value if you don't value earth and uh, animals as something other than just the, what their use is for us yeah you're not gonna no matter how much technological power you have you're not gonna you're not gonna do anything good with it no and every technological fix brings unknown bad yeah. consequences right 
Yeah, yeah. So uh, here in this passage, you, you talk about Chan and Buddhism uh, as a spiritual practice throughout the Chinese cultural tradition, and you refer it back to the Paleolithic times in China, mm-hmm. a practice to cultivate consciousness integral to the vast and wondrous tissue of reality, to cultivate a sense of wholeness and belonging, a sense of home and kinship. And I think this is something so important in the practice, and, and I think it can be lost in a Buddhism that's all about taking care of our minds and understanding ourselves and improving our mental and emotional life. It leaves out this whole dimension of deep kinship and belonging. And I wanted to ask you in relation to that about your own uh, practices because I know that you live in Vermont and you do a lot of hiking and you're in the, in the wilderness a lot and in the, in the country a lot. How does that work in your personal life? I mean, did you start there and that led you to Chan or did you end up being inspired uh, to be in the landscape by your work in Chinese uh, uh, language translation? Or how, how is that for you personally? Yeah. Well, and I mean, I think it all happened sort of together. Uh, and I started in, the, I grew up in the West and then like you, I was very influenced by Snyder and the idea that mm-hmm. You know, mountains were were part of poetry and part of uh, spirituality and Zen and Taoism and all that stuff. So yeah, so then I came here and then I just slowly, as I worked through the Chinese stuff, saw it deeper and deeper and deeper and um, uh, kind of, you know, I think in a sense my practice has been, for all these years, has been inhabiting the minds of these ancient sages and poets and um, Taoist philosophers and, and in the last, I don't know, five or ten years, uh, Chan people. Um, because to translate them, I really do inhabit their minds in a strange way. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, so it's just the, the, the whole thing just keeps... Uh, Keeps getting deeper, I guess. I don't know. I, 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 I kind of, I don't know where I came from anymore. I'm just here. <laughs> do you, do you go out on a hike every day? Are you, are you in the countryside well, a lot? We, yeah, we live, we live in the, in the country, and yeah, we certainly. I'm out for longish walks twice a day, maybe. Wow. An hour, or an hour each. Wow. And then you know, this is. Um, the Green Mountains, so I'll go do bigger hikes uh, as often as I can, or long cross-country skis in the winter. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, and I guess, you know, that's kind of the the way, it's pretty quiet, I don't see that many people. And I guess that's part of it is living that way, which is the way the ancients lived um in their deep moments, anyway, a lot of them worked as bureaucrats for part of their lives. Right. But not much. They didn't produce much from those times. It was the other. It was the times right. they were more alone in the mountains that they did their. Right. Their Con- Confucianism for the capital. Taoism when you're in exile. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Um, right. Although, uh, although I think that, you know, I, at least as far as I'm concerned, I, I think we need to carry this same mind 
wherever we go. In other words, uh, I think we are enriched and inspired by the countryside. I, I live in the country too, <clears throat> and uh, we can go for walks right outside our door onto uh, the headlands uh, of San Francisco, north of San Francisco. So mm -hmm. I am inspired by the by the ocean and and, and the coastline. That sounds great. Yeah, it is wonderful. But at the same time, you know, it has to be everywhere. I think too. It it can't be because um, goodness knows we have to uh, protect. I, I'm I'm I kind of feel like we want to protect open space for its own sake, not so that we can visit it, but for yeah, its own right. sake. You know, well, apart big, from our yeah, visiting that's big, it. That's big. <clears throat> Learning that stuff has a value for its own for its own, yeah, or, or <clears throat> yeah, yeah, right. It's an important thing that I don't think we're going to learn in time, right? Uh, uh, what was I thinking? While you're um, while while you're thinking, uh, maybe I'll take a minute to do what Jacob asked me to do. Remind okay. the uh, remind the audience that we are going to do questions in about ten or fifteen minutes. So this is the time to think about some questions if you have them and write them down in the chat box and then Jake can read them to us when we're ready for that. So I'm sorry to interrupt you. You were in the middle of something. You were <laughs> interrupting my saying. Uh, no, I don't know what I don't know what it was I was thinking. I, I, I mean, jumping back to the Paleolithic and uh, the idea of. Uh, the Lao called, uh, um, oh, I know what I was thinking. Um, uh, small hermits live in the country, big hermits live in the city. So, <laughs> you really do have to bring it everywhere. And the ancient Chinese did that. They really thought, if you're going to govern well, you needed to have, you needed to live in the country, you needed, you needed to spend time cultivating yourself in the way we're describing. Only once you've done that, only once you see deeply into things, um, uh, can you really be um, a, 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 well, a, um, to put it in our terms, a bureaucrat. Or yeah, a yeah, yeah. I was always inspired by it. Yeah, I was I was always inspired by that idea, which uh, which I got from reading Gary. G Gary writes about that in some of his books, mm -hmm. and I, that was my idea that inspired me in the many years when I was a bureaucrat in the Zen Center. You know, f mm -hmm. functioning as a, as a leader in the Zen Center and going to a lot of meetings and stuff like that, which I which was not my favorite uh, activity. But I always cheered myself up with the thought that that yes. Um, in China, you know, poets and mystics did that. They, they, and, and the understanding was that, yes, you needed to have, like you just said, a, a view of reality that, was, that had depth to it in order to, in order to uh, help people run society. And wouldn't it be great if we had that idea in our world now that we expected yeah. our, our bureaucrats and our politicians and our corporate leaders to be people who had an inner life and a spiritual right. life of some depth. Wouldn't, wouldn't that be a different? Wouldn't that be a different world? You know. Yeah, there's a there's this fantastic passage which I've translated and that's in a book or two of mine in various places. And it's actually from one of the Confucian classics, um, a small one called I forget which one it is. Anyway, it's this beautiful um, um, sequence, and it starts with if you want to put the country at peace. Um, Put your family at peace. If you want to put your family at peace, put your mind at peace. And it goes through this sequence, and it ends, that sequence ends with, 
sort of if you want to put your mind at peace, you need to see deeply into things. And it's one Chinese character that means to see deeply into things. And then the whole sequence reverses. Once you see deeply uh-huh, into uh-huh. things, you put the mind at peace. Once you put the mind at peace, and it comes right back out to where it started. Mm-hmm. And it's really gorgeous, and I think totally true. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, there's a, that's another element to this, too. And, and I think that is uh, evidenced in your, your own work, because in addition to doing... Uh, the Chinese classics, and now some work with Chan. You also have a lots and lots of translations of Chinese poetry, mm-hmm. and and the relationship between these things is very clear. That that you know here in the West we've had this big distinction between philosophy or religion on the one hand and poetry and the arts on the other hand, and in Chinese culture um, it's not that way at all. Poetry, philosophy religious life, spiritual life is one continuous practice and so uh, I felt this way too I think uh, Jacob cited, you know, mentioned one of my books, Imagination and the Bodhisattva the, um, uh, the world could be otherwise, Imagination and the Bodhisattva path, the idea that that uh, spiritual practice is a, an imaginative practice, that the imagination is something, it's like a physical, almost like an organ, like an eye or an ear, and it's, it's an organ of vision to see the world as it is, and we need to cultivate the imagination. And in the, and in the excessively rationalistic and scientific world, the imagination has been relegated to a kind of irrelevant position as a function that produces content for platforms to make money. You know? <laughs> That's what the imagination is. But the imagination with a capital I is right in the middle of all that we're talking about. You know, it's really about the depths of the human imagination to conceive reality as it truly is. And that's a bigger question than simply um, a scientific experiment or a bunch of facts and statistics. It's a kind of deep engagement with reality. Right. Yeah, it really is true. The, for the ancient, ancient Chinese poetry and painting and calligraphy are completely shaped by Chan um, yeah. insight and uh, Chan, Taoist and Chan insight, which are the same thing. I mean, Chan is, Chan is just an extension of Tao, which is what this book is about, showing, tracing in the text and showing how Chan is not this Buddha, this kind of Buddhism that came from India, that it's a, um, it's Taoism, the native Chinese form of spirituality that's very earth-based, um, modified a little bit by the, inf- in, the influence of um, Buddhism, but then just continues on as a refined version of Taoism. Um, and that framework really shapes how Chinese poetry works, that very clear landscape imagistic poetry is there because if you meditate, you clear your mind and you empty your mind, there you are, you, and you open your eyes, what you see is, is mirror deep. So that, that kind of mirror deep image is awakening. And that's how Chinese poetry is built. It's built on sort of Chan awakening. And um, painting the same way. It's all mm-hmm. it's all the great painting is landscape painting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you talk about that in the book, and there's a bunch of uh, really nice reproductions of ink ink painting in Chinese culture. Yeah, yeah. It, it, you know what what you say is uh, as I say, uh, it's been eye opening for me to think about it and read because 
I guess you know that uh, in the contemporary uh, Zen movement in the West, your view is not the way that people look at it. The way people look at Zen as Buddhism, and when they study Zen, they often, rather than studying uh, Chinese classics, they'll be more likely in the study of Zen, and we, and we do this in our group too, they'll be more likely to read uh, the, from the Pali Canon or the Mahayana Sutras from the Sanskrit, and you know, to some extent, bypass the Chan connection. N not that I think people do understand that there's a difference between Indian Buddhism and Chinese Buddhism. Chinese Buddhism is not simply Indian Buddhism with Chinese mm -hmm. clothes. Going to China, Buddhism was fundamentally transformed, but that thought is sort of set to the side as we merrily go along reading our yeah. English translations from Sanskrit and, and, and uh, Pali and so on. So I think your book, your book is a great, uh, books, because it's not just this book, is a tremendous corrective to that and helps us to see our way back to China. Oh, good. I'm glad you see that. That's yeah. what I'm hope, sort of hoping. Yeah, you know, no, it's good. In China, after Buddhism came, it wasn't just it wasn't just Chan that Buddhism didn't just change, turn into Chan. It turn, also turned into all kinds of religious Buddhism, quote unquote, sort of popular Buddhism, and that stuff is more similar to the Indian Buddhism. Mm -hmm. I, I really think Chan is anti-Buddhist. I say this over and over. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. anti-Buddhism. If if it's interested in Buddhism, it's only as a structure to dismantle mm -hmm. a, an mental structure. So often when it talks about it. It's addressing students who have come to Chan from the more popular religious Buddhist kind of training, mm -hmm. and it's trying to like knock that stuff out of them. Mm -hmm. But it will use some of the uh, Buddhist terminology sort of to engage them. Uh, that's one of the main reasons that, that you find it. But I was going to say that, yeah, I, 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 um, I, I think you're right that um, one of the big reasons that tran the translation of Zen texts in the past has failed is for that very reason, and that's because translators have assumed that Chan is an extension of Indian Buddhism, yeah. so they're understanding it from from the Indian Buddhist kind of um, perspective, uh, and they're getting it wrong because that's not that's just not what it's doing. Um, and that's, I mean, that's if they, if they face that, uh, some kind of perplexity or ambiguity and they need to resolve it, they often do it that way by, oh, how does this work in Indian Buddhism? And, and Indian Buddhism has a lot of metaphysics in it. Um, and Chan and ancient Chinese have zero interest in metaphysics, right. zero interest in the transcendental. It's, it's, everything is empirical and um, earth. Yeah, well, it's well, it's it's tricky. They use the words Tao, and they use yeah. um, a bunch of other words. It's really tricky, though, and this has been you know my kind of life's reflection. It's really tricky because just in the same way that uh, Chan really revolutionized Buddhism and turned it inside out. Similarly, mm -hmm. here we are in our culture, right? And so we're not. China, and we, we didn't grow up on, on the Tao Te Ching, we grew up on the Old Testament and the New Testament, right. right? So I think that we also are going to be turning, are in the process of turning 
Buddhism inside out. And uh, and what I love about what you're doing, and and you know, I you have. I don't know how many titles, all, all of which, I mean, you could almost say, I, I think, with, without, with justice, that everything that you've done, the poetry, the Chinese classics, and now this new work on Chan, is about this Chinese connection that stands behind all of the Buddhism that we're trying to practice when we, we're doing Zen, mm-hmm. that um, you're correcting us, you're giving us, a, 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 you're giving us a body of understanding that needs to be part of whatever misunderstanding we are inevitably making, you know, and will make of and, and the Chan tradition. Building out forward, yeah. Yeah, building out forward, yeah. I, I, yeah, I think what's lost is, is so valuable. I mean, I get it that, and it's good that uh, the West is like maybe adding its own uh, dimensions to this whole thing, but. Uh, it needs that. It needs that other stuff too. It, it does, and especially, especially because of what we were saying earlier, the the uh, environmental aspects of it. Yeah. That that's why that's why it's not just a matter of, uh, it's not just it's more than let's get the Chan right and not mistake it. No, it's more than that. It's it's let's not forget about this dimension of Chan, which is no doubt completely different from Indian Buddhism. Indian Buddhism does not have this sense of belonging and embeddedness in the earth. Right. Not, that not that Chan, that is so essential to Chan because of the connection with Taoism. And that is what we really need in our time, in our environmental yeah, that's moment. That's really what we need. Chan as, as um, that was there in ancient China, and we can use now that Chan was a way informed sort of politics and yeah. spiritual practice. Uh, yeah, and that's what could make it useful now, right? Yeah, but I have to say, this is—it's uh, it's time for us to open to questions. I have to say, this is a kind of a down note, but I was quite shocked many decades ago when I realized that—and I think this is a true fact—that um, in 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 uh, getting ink sticks to study and write about the Chinese classics that talked about we are the earth and the earth is us. The Chinese pretty much deforested their their whole universe to yeah, make yeah, to make ink sticks for the scholars. Made of pine ash. Yeah, right. Exactly. Exactly. So deforesting. Most of the deforestation probably happened for other reasons than ink sticks. But still, what I'm saying is that what I'm saying is that it's a it's a sad fact that must be noted that the Chinese. We're not exactly, you know, loving the forests and preserving them. The Chinese were also cutting them down, even as they, even as they had this point of view. So I think it sort of tells us that this point of view is not by itself sufficient, but it's certainly, it's certainly, I think, necessary. I think, yeah, that's um, China has definitely devastated its, its yeah. environment. Yeah. Uh, so I think, I think part of it is we now have the technological power to probably to live without that kind of destruction yeah. if we really want to. They didn't really have it. You know, they had a lot of people and yeah. people needed to cook their food and heat their houses and right. build their houses and all that stuff and they had no other way to do it. And this and this worldview was the worldview only of the elite. So people yeah. in the villages had the, all kinds of all the melanges of Buddhism and Confucianism and animism and yeah. you know whatever else was around. 
Well, that's the other thing too, is that uh, I, I want to, in the work that I do, I, I, I'm really interested in avoiding the idea of Chan or Zen as a kind of um, rarefied uh, aesthetic practice for special people. Uh, it needs to serve everyone. So that to have an authentic practice of you know, real cultivation and depth of Zazen or meditation f that is available to anyone who wants to practice it, mm -hmm. that seems really important for our time and that's maybe some work we have I, ahead of us. I couldn't agree more. That's why I try to write books that are very as clear as and direct as possible. Yeah, and, I and, this, and they are, and they are. Yeah. Kind of hoity-toity ambiguity and perplexity and... Cause, because, yeah, I mean, anybody can sit on a cushion, you don't have to have any money to do that. No, and it's pretty simple uh, practice, actually. Uh, I was saying, we had an all-day sit yesterday, I was saying, this is a, a pretty simple practice, there's not a lot to it, anybody can do it. And I, I often say that I'm embarrassed that I've spent my life on something that is so simple that anybody can do it. And then anybody who does it is as good at it as I am on the first day, you know. It's very embarrassing <coughs> to have no expertise at anything, you know, for all these years. Yeah, like, well, is it, is it, if you sit, if you do Chan at, deep, and at shallow levels or deep levels, you realize that you're, you're, you're engaging yourself or your identity you're at a level that is a kind of universal there's no you know you kind of, you kind of slip right past all the sort of racial um tensions all the differences that people want to argue about whether it's race or religion or um sex or you know all of those things that we spend so much time agonizing over you sit and it's like oh well we're all in the same place consciousness is the same for all of us mm -hmm. whoever you know whoever we are in fact it even is is not fun at that level like you know all sentient beings yeah. have this basic conscious um structure of consciousness certainly mammals and birds yeah yeah um, that that we can identify with and and be um, you know, kindred with at the at the deepest possible level of our being. Yeah, and it's a feeling in your body and in your breath. Yeah, mm -hmm. right. Maybe yeah. this is a good point to uh, see if there are any questions and call okay. on call on Jacob to look look and see. Any questions over there, Jacob? Yeah, lots of great questions. Yeah, um, and uh, <laughs> I just wanted to say from on my own behalf, it's been really eye opening just uh, hearing these perspectives on Chan. I just had no idea actually about. Uh, origins and the differences than from say Indian Buddhism or how I, I thought of it so um, yeah so uh, there's a lot of great questions um, where should I begin uh, okay so Michael asks um, have this is John why don't you read four of them all together and pretend they're one okay and then I'll make it very mysterious <laughs> um, have you looked into traditional Japanese aesthetics and their correlation to Chan? And in parenthesis, wabi-sabi, yuken, etc. I'm going to turn off my screen for a second while David speaks to that. Okay, I'll be right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, oh yeah. Well, the the thing, the relation to Chan is direct, and 